love my mom because she does hard work and takes care of us and vacuums a lot. What I love about my mom is that she's always there for me. My brother loves my mom too. What I love about mommy that I'm her cub up and she's my cub up. What I love about mommy is that she has warm hugs and she cuddles with me often. I love my mom just because she tucks me in and she uh, um, takes care of me and she takes her eyes off me. Mommy's the best mom in the world because she's the best girl. Mommy's the best in the world because she gives, she takes us to many places. My mom's the best in the world because she gives us nice clothes. I love my mom because she's funny and she's my best friend. I love my mom because she's always there to support me. I love about my mom looking for really cool animals. My favorite thing about my mom is playing in the water. I love mommy because you make the best cupcakes. I love mommy because <laughs> She's super sweet. And I love my mommy because she's super kind to me and helps out other people. And I love my mommy because she's so my puppy. And I love my mommy because she fixes all my babies. Wow, who doesn't enjoy some children expressing their love? for their mom. Great job, guys. Great video. Thank you so much uh, for sharing. Hey, everyone. Welcome again. I'm Pastor Chris. Thank you for tuning in and joining with us today on Mother's Day. I'm excited about today's message, and I'm excited about this new series that we're kicking off today. Uh, The idea for this series came back in the beginning of the year as I started thinking about uh, Mother's Day. And I thought, you know, what a great uh, idea to maybe have uh, one of the women of our church uh, to give the message for Mother's Day. And it kind of went from that to, well, how about an entire series on women from Scripture, women in the Bible, and each week we could have a woman from Coastal deliver the message about that particular woman from Scripture. Hence the idea, women of the Word. And uh, each week of this series, we're going to have a different woman from Coastal in a different uh, stage or a different season of their life share. And today is my good friend, Rachel Spear, who's going to be delivering today's message. And uh, Rachel, uh, she's a wife, 
Uh, she's a mother of two teenage children, one who's getting ready to go to college, and she's the office admin here at Coastal. Well, she's so much more than just an admin or a part of our staff team. Uh, her and her family have been a part of ministry here at Coastal for a long time. Uh, they've led groups. They've served in many, many capacities. So I'm excited about the message that she has to share with you today. One other exciting aspect of this series is that each week we're also going to hear a powerful testimony from a woman from our church. And today for Mother's Day, we've asked that Kathy Beam share a little bit of her story. I'll be honest with you, it's a story of great pain and hardship, but it's a powerful story of redemption and how God uses our brokenness for our good and for his glory. Kathy Beam is the wife of uh, Matt Beam, an elder here at our church. And again, like the Spears, they have led and served in many, many capacities here at Coastal. So please prepare your hearts and your minds to hear a story of life change and redemption from Kathy Beam and then a message straight from God's word from Rachel Spear. You are going to be blessed today. up in a very abusive and neglectful home. I was told constantly that I was stupid, ugly, and unwanted. I lived with a stepfather who worked to destroy any kind of self-worth I possessed, and a mother too afraid of how she would be perceived by others to stop it. By the age of six, I felt that I was all I had and life was about survival. I was raped by a neighbor when I was seven. I didn't tell anyone because I was bad and it must have been my fault, right? The physical, emotional, and psychological abuse continued until I was 13. Things took a strange turn around that time until right before my 14th birthday, when my stepfather began a new type of abuse. He began to molest me on an almost daily basis. I didn't tell anyone, because I was bad, and it must be my fault, right? I remember being confused, scared, lonely, and angry all of the time, feeling totally unloved and unwanted, and desperately wanting someone to want me and love me, somehow, some way. When I was 19, I became pregnant. I was devastated. After a week of feeling sorry for myself, I was determined. I went to the church for the first time in years, and I met someone there who completely changed my life. His name was Jesus, and I fell in love. I say that God had to hit me upside my head with something really big to get my attention, and becoming a mother was pretty big. I took a lot of big steps because of this new love. I stood up to my stepfather and confronted him with what he was and what he was doing. He left two weeks later. I told my mother the truth about my childhood and my adolescence and what had been going on. I received counseling to overcome the trauma I had suffered and I married the father of my baby. 
A few years later, a verse that I had heard so many times before impacted me in a new and profound way. Romans 8:28 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. I look back at my life and I could see how God was using all of the pain the enemy was causing to my good and to my benefit. That stepfather situation, living with him put me in a geographical location to meet my husband, the kindest, most loving and understanding human I've ever met, and second only to my salvation in order of gifts that I've received. The teenage pregnancy, that's how I met Jesus. The abuse and the neglect, it taught me how not to parent, a job that I feel that I'm doing pretty well at. A few years ago, God had moved in my life in a mighty way, and I was looking for a way to give back. I asked Him what He wanted me to do, and I felt Him telling me to use what I had. I told Him that this broken, abused little girl was all that I had, and He said, yes, use it. I began a support group for victims of sexual abuse and assault. I'm in the middle of leading it for the second time and have met some of the strongest, fiercest, most loving women I have ever come into contact with. God loved me, called me, and blessed me way before I heard Him and is continuing to do so every day. Me and God are pretty tight and He loves me like no other. He's waiting to show you just how precious you are, too. Being the mother of a growing independent teen comes with all kinds of challenges. Don't get me wrong. The independence is great. They have a job and can make money. They have a car and can go places and do fun things on their own. They have their own Amazon account and can order things online that come to your house in suspicious-looking packages that make you want to call the bomb squad to ensure that your entire world is not about to blow up into a thousand tiny pieces. I'm not even kidding. This actually happened just a few months ago. I came home to find a package on my front porch. The writing on the outside was in a foreign language, but Google helped me figure out that it was from some comedy store or comedian or something in Japan. Thanks a lot, Google. That's super clear. I tried to call my husband, but he didn't answer. I tried to call my daughter, but she was at work busy, you know, making money to send odd packages to the house. I am a completely rational person until you put me in a house with a bomb-sized package that I am now convinced was sent under the guise of a fake foreign comedian by some sick prankster. I've listened to way too many true crime podcasts. I know this, and as I'm pacing the house trying to figure out what to do with my bomb, I'm producing the next episode of the popular Crime Junkie podcast where Ashley Flowers and her best friend co-host Britt are going to dissect the final moments of my life. I fully adhere to their be weird, be rude, stay alive motto, especially the be weird part. I sent a picture of the bomb to my husband so he could help detectives track down my killer, and I very, very carefully placed the package back on the front porch so it would only blow up the outside of the house, and if I was lucky, maybe a porch pirate would take care of it for me. Well, my husband did finally return my call, 
He had verified with our daughter that the package was in fact legit and totally not going to kill me. I had wasted hours of my day and a whole lot of energy worrying about a box that simply contained a toy. But we do that sometimes, don't we? An unexpected opportunity lands at our doorstep and we have a decision to make. We know deep down what we should do, but we overprocess the what ifs and the but thens and the maybes until we find ourselves convinced that a box that contains a plushie is going to kill us. We can't see inside the box that holds our opportunities, but what if we had complete trust in the one who sent it? Wouldn't that change our confidence to face whatever was inside? That's where Mary comes in. We're all familiar with Mary, the mother of Jesus. Even if you aren't religious, because we live in the Bible Belt, you've likely attended a Christmas service at some point in your life. Now, I know it's May, and you're not exactly looking forward to a Christmas story right now, but I feel like Mary's story can teach us something year-round. Let me give you the Cliff Notes version of when Mary comes on the scene. Mary a young teen is visited by an angel who tells her she's pregnant with the Savior of the world, right? I mean, that's how I understood it for so long. But there's a very important detail that I've always left out. Maybe you can catch it. Let's start with Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary, She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. And then it continues in verse 34. Mary asked the angel, But how can this happen? I'm a virgin. And the angel replied, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. Mary responds in verse 38, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. Did you catch it? The answer lies in a verb tense. The angel said, you will conceive. Being too familiar with a passage of scripture can hinder our ability to see truth. You see, what my Cliff Notes version of the story misses is this. Mary had a choice. She made a decision to submit to God's way. God uses people like Mary who desire to do his will. God has a custom design plan just for you, but you have to choose to follow it. It's not automatic. God is sovereign over this world of his. The Gospels of Matthew chapter 1 and Luke chapter 3 contain a genealogy of Jesus. And if you spend some time digging through all the backstories of all the lives that God used to bring about the birth of our Savior, what you'll find is that God uses the spiritual and the shady, the everyday, and even the actions of downright evil people to accomplish his plan. Every one of us fits in there somewhere. God has a story to tell. Everything he absolutely wants done, gets done. And he invites us to be part of the doing. Second Chronicles 16.9 says, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. 
The Bible says God is looking for people to use. You must cooperate with God's purpose for your life or you'll miss it. God uses people who desire to do his will, who say, God, I want you to be first in my life and I want to be what you made me to be. Mary said yes to this. Before you start thinking that Mary had an easy decision to make, know that Mary said yes, despite her many fears. She surely didn't know the tremendous opportunity she would have, but she likely knew the consequences, at least some of the immediate ones. And although she was faced with the decision to do something she couldn't fathom and that would carry a severe social stigma, Mary was a faithful servant. She only focused on God who was asking her to serve him and she gave her life willingly. God's blessing on Mary would lead to much pain. Her peers would ridicule her. Her fiance would come close to leaving her. According to Jewish civil law, authorities had the right to stone her to death. And then to top it all off, her son would be rejected and brutally murdered. Don't wait to see the bottom line, the cost or the benefit before offering your life to God. Mary didn't. Follow her example and offer yourself willingly, even if the outcome seems costly, painful, or disastrous. Mary said yes, but why? I believe Mary said yes to God's calling because she knew who was asking. Let's look at a little bit of Jewish history here. Because the temple in Jerusalem was too far for many Jews to travel to often, many towns had synagogues serving as both places of worship and schools. Beginning in the days of Ezra, about 450 years before Jesus was born, a group of 10 Jewish families could form a synagogue. During the week, Jewish boys were taught Old Testament law and the Jewish religion. However, girls could not attend. Even though they were excluded from formal religious education, the Jewish faith was passed down to young girls in the home. Deuteronomy 11:19 instructs parents to teach God's words to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road, when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. There is evidence in our passage that Mary was indeed familiar with her Jewish heritage. In Luke 1:31 through 33, the angel said, "You will conceive and give birth to a son. You will name him Jesus, and he will be very great." and will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary's response to this wasn't confusion. It wasn't, wait, what now? Imagine this, you're pregnant, and you're sitting in the exam room with your obstetrician. Let's not even throw the angel in here because Mary was perplexed enough by that, naturally. You're in the exam room and the doctor begins the ultrasound of your round belly and says, ah, yes, you are going to give birth to a boy. And then the doctor continues and you will give him a name that means God rescues. He will be very impactful and they will call him son of the most high. He will have a throne that will never be taken from him. To which you would respond by finding a new doctor immediately. But Mary, knowing the stories of the redeeming God of her ancestors and in simple faith, replied, I am the Lord's servant. Let it be as you have said. Mary didn't learn about her God sitting in Sunday school with bright, colorful lessons tailored to keep her attention and engage her. She learned about God 
at home from parents who talked about their faith practically as they were coming and going. Since it's Mother's Day, I want us to take a moment to consider what we're teaching our kids at home or on the way to school. What are they learning when we are tucking them in bed or getting them dressed? Or better yet, consider where you're leading your kids. Because if you have children, you are a leader. Whether or not you've ever considered yourself a leader or if you've never even had leader in a title at your job, as soon as you held that little one in your arms, you became a leader. So where are you leading your kids? Who are you leading them to? When God calls them, will they trust him enough to follow because they know him? Largely where you lead your children depends on where you're headed yourself. In our life group training, Pastor Chris always reminds us of this basic leadership principle. He says, you can't take people to a place you've never been or you're not headed yourself. So let me ask you this, are you growing spiritually? Growth requires constant exposure to resources. My kids got me an air garden for Christmas. You've probably seen them. It's a hydroponic garden for veggies and herbs. They got it for me because they know I'm 100% capable of killing any plant I touch. And it's usually from too much love. I overwater them and they drown. But this thing is great. It regulates the amount of water they get and it has a timer that gives the plants just the right amount of light. But what if the machine only turned on the light on Sunday mornings for an hour and a half? Do you think my plants would grow? You see, spiritual growth takes consistent exposure to the sun. But I want to dig a little deeper here because there may be something more that's holding you back from making this a priority. Have you, like young Mary, considered your God? You know, the God who waded into the toxicity of humanity to reach the ones he loved, to reach you? Have you considered him? And I'm not talking about knowing what you've been told about God, but what's your personal experience and how does it line up with reality? Maybe you've accepted someone else's version of God, or maybe from your experience, you've concluded that God is distant, that he demands perfection, that he doesn't want you to find joy in anything. And if you do, and he finds out, he might just take it from you. Is that a God that's real to you? Maybe like me, you met God when you were young, but now your grown-up questions are undermining your childhood God, so you've given up on him. Maybe everything you know about God, you learned when you were in Sunday school. But as you've progressed into adulthood, you've put your faith on the shelf because it doesn't seem to relate to your everyday life. The truth is, your childhood God may not be worth believing, much less worth passing on to your children. There's a difference between childlike faith and childish faith. The faith that Jesus calls us to when he says, let the little children come to me in Matthew 19, 14, and then insists that unless we become like children, we may never really know him. This is very different from the faith that Paul calls us up out of in Hebrews 5, 12. Paul says this, you have been believers for so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. You are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. We saw earlier that being too familiar with a passage of scripture can hinder our ability to see truth. Well, in the same way, relying on our childhood familiarity with God can influence our understanding of him. 
Karen Armstrong, in her book, The Case for God, shines light on an experience that you may be able to relate to. She says, many of us have been left stranded by an incoherent concept of God. We learn about God about the same time we learn about Santa Claus. But while our understanding of the Santa Claus phenomenon evolved and matured, our theology remains somewhat infantile. Not surprisingly, when we attained intellectual maturity, many of us rejected the God we had inherited and denied that he existed. Have you considered the God presented by Jesus? Because this is the basis for Christianity. What Jesus said can be trusted because what Jesus claimed about himself was true. It's the whole actions speak louder than words bit. He is the only one in the history of humanity who predicted his own death and resurrection and then followed through with it. Because what he said about his mission can be verified, what he said about himself can be trusted. What does Jesus say about himself? In John 12, 45, he says, when you see me, you are seeing the one who sent me. Jesus is saying something so profound here, so important that he repeats it over and over to his followers, but they, like us, have a hard time grasping it. In John 14, eight through nine, the disciple Philip says, Lord, show us the father and that will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, anyone who has seen me has seen the father as well. Jesus is saying very clearly, if you see me, or if you really know me, you know my Father as well. Coastal, Jesus is saying, if you want to know what God says, listen to me. If you want to know what God does, watch me. If you wonder what God is like, Jesus very plainly says that those who see him see God because he is God. If you want to know what God is like, study the person and words of Jesus Christ. And what Jesus revealed about God was summarized by the disciple who knew him the best, the one who arguably spent the most time with him, and the only one of the 12 present at the foot of the cross. That disciple was John. And it's John who says in the second part of 1 John 4, 8, if I could summarize God in one word, it would be love. God is love. What if you were to be completely honest with yourself right now? and choose one word to describe God, what would you say? Would you say God is distant, unfair, or angry? John tells us this, the one I walked with every day, that I listened to and saw how he cared for others and experienced how he cared for me, that was love. You see, walking through every day with a God who is love is life-changing. It forever changed John's life and it's forever changed my life. Is it changing yours? It all comes down to this. We need more than an inherited God to pass down to our children. We're going to need more than a borrowed God when we're called to change our world. A living, growing relationship with God, the God who is love, will ensure that when he calls, when that next unexpected package lands at our doorstep, we can recognize his voice and respond with the faith of young Mary. I am the Lord's servant. May it be as you have said. Happy Mother's Day, women of Coastal. I am so honored to get to be here with you on your special day and to kick off this series. It's going to be a great series, and I can't wait to see what God has in store for us. Thank you so much, uh, Rachel, for a great message and a great start to this Women of the Word series. Have a great Mother's Day. <laughs>